who see me and are disappointed, don't worry, I'm not teaching the class tonight. Brother Ken is here, sitting in the wings, and he's fixing to bring us our lesson. But before we get started, I would like to lead us in a word of prayer. Will you bow with me, please? <clears throat> Father, we're so very thankful for the day that you've blessed us with. Beautiful sunshine, Father, and the day that you've given us to live our lives, Father. We pray that we've lived, lived in a way that would bring glory and praise to you, Father. Lord, we realize there are so many out there who are hurting from sickness, from different accidents and disease, Father. Lord, we realize you know their needs better than we know how to ask. We pray that you just do the things that they need in their lives, Father, for comfort and for strength. Lord, we also pray for those who may be hurting spiritually. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom to say the things that would bring them back to you, Father. Lord, we, we love you, and we're so thankful for everything you've done for us, but especially, Father, for your precious Son. Please forgive us for we fail you. In Christ's name, amen. Brother King. Good evening to everybody. I'm so glad that you're able to tune in and be a part of our study tonight. And the elders said, hey, listen, we're, we're going to allow you, since this is your first series of lessons, to choose something that is important to you, whatever it is that you think would be a benefit to the Boonville congregation. Of course, when we first started talking about that, we were expecting that everybody would be back in this building and that we would be able to conduct a regular kind of Bible class. Well, circumstances have made that impossible for now. But I'm, I'm hopeful that through the course of the study that we're going to embark upon tonight, that eventually we'll be back in the building and able to spend time together in our study of God's Word. Several years ago, a friend of mine, Billy Lambert, recommended a book to me. The title of the book was How to Build a Great Church. It was written by Mac Layton. Actually, that book was written back in 1987, so it's, <laughs> it's over 30 years old. But what was in that book really impressed me. It described every aspect, at least generally speaking, every aspect of the work of the church, not just its function, but various parts, the works of the congregation, kinds of mindset that we ought to have, our attitudes. And I'll be honest with you, when I finished that book, it, it, it changed me. At least it changed the way I think about how the church operates. So it just seemed natural to me that as I'm beginning a new work with a new congregation of God's people, that it might be helpful both for you and for me to revisit some of those tremendous principles about how to build a great church. Now, I want you to understand that I am not coming to this study with an idea that I'm going to change you or that somehow I have all the answers to what it is to be a great church. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe Mac Layton thought he knew that either. But what I am going to share with you is what the Bible has to say about what makes a great church. I think that you'll agree with me that what I want to do is to please God. And the only way to please God of a certainty is to do what He has commanded me to do. To follow the principles that He has set forth 
And if I want to be a part of a great church, I'll do what God says is necessary to make that happen. Now you may be saying, Ken, you, you, you don't understand. We here at the Boonville Church of Christ, we're already a great church. Well, then you know what I have to say? Peace. Hey, I'm so happy for you. And my experience with you so far certainly doesn't contradict that. I think you are a great church. But listen, none of us are perfect. And it may be that for a time we have everything all together and then we start slipping up. Or, or maybe, maybe there's the possibility that through the course of this pandemic, we get a little lazy. Uh, we kind of take our focus off of what's most important. I'm not saying that's going to happen or has happened. But don't you think, as I do, that it would be a, a great opportunity now for us while we have all these kinds of restrictions and kind of a time of pause that it would be beneficial for us to review what it is to be a great church. I hope you feel that way, because that's what we're going to do. <laughs> so, so I encourage you, uh, when we study, have your Bible ready. We'll be looking at lots of scriptures together and just challenging ourselves. It'll be a challenge to our entire church. It'll be a challenge to us individually. And, and here's what I promise. If you're sitting there and you say, you know what, Ken, what you just said, boy, that, that, kind, of, that kind of puts me in my place. Uh, understand that I went through this study first. I kind of put these thoughts together on the basis of what Mac had said. And the first person who was ever challenged by the things I have to say, it, it was me. And I will tell you, it made a difference with me, and I pray it's going to make a difference with you. Several years ago... Now, I'm going to call him a friend because after the event, I tell you, I didn't feel so friendly. But several years ago, a friend of mine, Doug Darty, he invited me to go on an epic swim with him. Now, here's the thing. At the time, I was training for triathlon, and he had just devoted himself to swimming totally. Every single day, he would go swim miles and miles and miles. So when he asked me to go swimming with him, I was kind of flattered, I'll be honest. And I thought, you know what, this will be terrific. And he said, oh, by the way, it's not just with me. I'm going with a group of guys, and here's what we're going to do. We are going to swim across the Chattanooga Lake, the Chickamauga Lake. It's in Chattanooga. The Chickamauga Dam, just north of that, has the water's been cut off. It's the Chickamauga Lake. And... They said, hey, we're going to swim across it. It's like half a mile across and then half a mile back. And I said, oh, okay. I'd been swimming a little bit, and so I thought I was in shape for it. So I arrived that day, and I'll tell you, when I got there, things weren't like I had thought they would be. Previous to that, that week, it had rained every single day. And so there was flooding in the area. In fact, the water was so high that they had opened all the locks on the dam. So the current going through that dam was incredible. You could just, you could see the water moving. And since it was flood conditions, there was a lot of debris in that water. I pulled up into the parking lot and immediately knew that I wasn't ready. You see, every single one of those guys was in a neoprene suit. I showed up 
in just swim shorts. And oh, by the way, did I mention that it was 50-some degrees that day. So those guys in their neoprene suits had all the insulation that they needed. In fact, those kinds of suits are buoyant in the water. And so there all of those basically professional swimmers were, and here I am, in a pair of swim shorts. Well, we got into the water and started to swim. Immediately somebody kicked me in the face, knocked my goggles off. And before I could get myself situated, everybody was gone. I ended up swimming that entire swim all by myself, the entire mile, out and back, in a heavy, heavy current, cold water, praying that the Lord would help me make it back to safety. There are some things that we do that we don't prepare for. There are some missions that we undertake and we are not properly equipped for. In something like a swim, big deal. So your pride is crushed, you didn't win the race, you come in last, who cares? But when it comes to important things, to great ambitious things, like the Lord's Church, having the right kind of preparation, understanding the mission, and having the right kind of resolve of heart means everything. And it isn't just generational. It isn't that I'm going to impact the people of my time. What we're talking about in the church has to do with eternity. We must be certain that we understand beyond the shadow of a doubt the mission that we have undertaken, the purpose for which we have signed up, what we have joined in the body of Christ. There's an interesting statement that's made in the Old Testament scriptures, and I'm just going to use it because the impact that it makes. It's actually found in the book of Judges, chapter 5 and verse 15. And in that text, it's kind of in a, in a setting where you've got Deborah and Barak, they're getting ready to get their contingent of forces to go fight Sisera. But among that group of folks, in this text, it describes the divisions of Reuben. And it says that among them were great resolves of heart. Now what that tells us about Reuben, that small contingent of warriors, is that not only did they understand their purpose and their mission, but that they had set their mind and their heart on the circumstances at hand. They were going to do whatever was necessary with no distractions whatsoever. I've set my heart on what I'm doing. They understood the mission and they set their hearts to fulfill that mission. Now, what happened with them, and this statement just kind of being a passing note to encourage us in the kind of heart that we should have, uh, twice as much should be the emphasis that we place when we consider the mission that we have as members of the body of Jesus Christ. You and I as members specifically of the Boonville Church of Christ should have a resolve of heart that is rock solid. We should understand the mission that is before us and we should understand the purpose that we have set ourselves to. We, we just like that tribe of Reuben, 
ought to have a great resolve of heart. Tonight, I want us to understand that in order to be a great church, that we have got to be a people of great purpose. But now, I want to talk to you about purpose for a little bit. And I want us to understand some aspects of our purpose. The first thing that I would suggest to us is that our purpose has to be grasped. Now, when I say a thing needs to be grasped, you understand there is a purpose, and we'll get into some of the details of that, but what you and I have to do is have that heart about us that says, I am in on this. I'm going to do what's necessary. I'm going to satisfy the will of God. Let me tell you something about the church. The church as an ideal of God, as the bride of Jesus Christ, is something that is beyond comparison. It is one of those things that God has created that has nothing equal to it. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21, I, I think it's pretty interesting because it's talking about you know, Jesus Christ and the apostles, they're kind of building the foundation. They're, they're establishing the footing that we have. But he says, here's what's happening to us. We're being, we're being built up. And so we are a building, and that building, it's coming together. The pieces are fitting together. They're fitting together and then going up, he says, into a holy temple in the Lord. I think about the beautiful picture that's being painted there of the church, and it just kind of blows me away. So here you and I are, we're part members of the local body of Jesus Christ, but kind of undergirding all of that as Jesus and the apostles, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, and, and they're upholding the principles that been, have been established from the foundation of the world. And now here we are. And so we are coming together as this, this great building of God. And he describes us as being fit together. And then we're just kind of going up, as it were, into this, this holy temple. The picture of us kind of bringing ourselves together, being melted together in purpose. Each one of us having a specific purpose, but coming together in order to create something beautiful, holy, for the Lord. And, and then he describes it as a holy temple, signifying the place in which God will dwell. Let me ask you something about that description. You think that description makes Satan happy? <laughs> the whole idea of this foundation being so solid, you think he wants to attack that which is building up and, and keep it from growing into that holy, that, that perfect, that righteous institution, the, the temple of God. Satan's not happy with what's happening there. But when Jesus talked about the church, he talked about it in such glowing terms and of something that was worthy even of his death. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus said that with regard to the church, that the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. Now, I know some translations say that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And they, they talk about how hell can't stand it. But I, the idea here actually is, is of his death. 
Jesus had the, the sense and the idea of the church. He was establishing, as it were, that foundational period. And here come the apostles. They're all kind of getting on board about this. He's going to establish the kingdom of God. And boy, they're kind of in tune with that too, but uncertain about how all of that's going to work out. Jesus says, now, now listen, understand that my death, my death which is coming, that isn't going to ruin the plan. That isn't going to stop what is happening, the purposes of God from the very foundation of the world are still going to be satisfied. Even though I die, death is not going to hinder its progress. A knock against Satan. And then when the church comes into view in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then maybe... A more famous passage related to that is verse 47 of the text that says that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You see, Jesus had died on the cross. He had been buried. He was resurrected. He walked with his disciples for 40 days. He ascended to the Father. And he told those apostles as he was ascending that they had work to do. And when that day of Pentecost finally came, they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you see, kind of confirmation of what was happening. As the gospel was preached, people were baptized, and they were added to the Lord's church. On that day, 3,000. But as we'll see in a, in a later lesson, it just seems like constantly the church is multiplying. They're adding to themselves, and it is growing day after day after day. Why? Because of this great purpose. Because these folks had grasped the purpose that was before them. And they were doing what was necessary in order to satisfy that great will of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 describes it this way. That it's the house of God which is the church of the living God. The pillar and ground of the truth. Now, I like that idea, the pillar and ground of truth. It, it upholds the, the truth of God. But an aspect of that is the responsibility that we have, our purpose, in taking that truth that's come into our hands, and then we are sharing that with the world. Now, understand, going back to that idea of us being fitted together, of us kind of coming together and growing into that holy temple of God, the idea is that, yeah, we're being bound together. We're being fitted together. But in order to fit something together of necessity, they began, well, there it is, as, as individual pieces. So you and I are responsible to the purposes of God to find that role that we play so that we can perfectly join ourselves with others to be fitted together to become that holy temple. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, for example, the scripture there says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, here it is, walk in them. What is my process? What do we do? Well, you can say a lot of things about yourself and the life that you've chosen, the kind of work that you do, but one thing as a child of God that you do is you, you do your part in the work of God. You, you have been called to a particular kind of work. In Romans chapter 12, beginning verse 3, it says, For the grace of, for, 
For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, who leads with gentleness, he who shows gentleness with kindness. You and I have a responsibility. What, what is my responsibility, Ken? What, what is my purpose? Well, I know what your purpose is generally in regard to the church. That is to fulfill your responsibility. But what's the responsibility? Well, in this text, he says, we need to look deep within ourselves, right? Understand the aspect of God's grace relative to our life. What is it that I can do? And what contribution can I make to the work of God? In particular, to the work of the church, wherever it is that I am planted. Now, if I am going to grow in my understanding of those things, and I've got to grasp the purpose, I've got to say, I'm all in with this. I am committed to what God is doing in this place, and I'm going to, I'm going to pitch in my part. I'm going to become a valuable part of what is fitted together for that holy temple that is in the Lord. And then we also need to understand that our purpose must be clear. I, I can't say, well, you know, there's just got to, you know, generally this or generally that. I'm not real sure what the purpose is, but, oh, I'm committed. Well, now, what is that? I can't be committed to a thing unless I know what that thing is. And so there are different aspects of the work of the church that all of us have in one way or another we have to plug into. Now, I have a list of things here that I would say are, are those things that most relate to our purpose as the church. There are going to be some things that you say, well, now, wait, what about, you know, what about benevolent work? Uh, where does that fit into all this? Well, we'll be talking about some of that later on in our discussions. But right now, I'm just, just kind of thinking about my role, your role in the Lord's church, the purpose of of the Lord's church, the mission that we've been set on. When Jesus talked about his mission in particular, he said that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 23, we find out that the church is the fullness of Christ. So the idea there is the church reflects those things that Christ was most committed to. So as the body of Jesus Christ operating according to the dictates of our head, who is Jesus, we're going to operate in the same manner, in the same form that Jesus did. So I need to understand that as regards the purpose, the mission of the church, our goal is to save souls. So the things that we're going to list here really pertain to that role, that purpose. And of course, the first thing that we think of is the preaching of the gospel. And we talked about Jesus ascending to the Father and then ultimately the, the church being established on the day of Pentecost. But when Jesus ascended to the Father, he gave these apostles their marching orders. He told them to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. He said in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Jesus was giving these apostles insight into the work that he was expecting them to do. The fulfilling of the desire that he had in his own heart to seek and to save that which was lost. With this caveat that not only were they to take that gospel to the Gentiles, but this gospel was going to the entire world. It is the responsibility. It is the purpose. And we need to be clear about that of the church to go and to preach the gospel. And then kind of secondary to that is a statement that he made there in Matthew 28 verse 20. And that is the idea that we are to teach those disciples that we make the things that they had been taught. So the apostles had been taught, let's say for instance, to go and preach the gospel to the nations. Now, they're going to teach them, he said, to observe all things that I've commanded you. So they were then in turn going to instruct those disciples to go and to do the same thing. Part of the purpose of the church is not just to preach the gospel, but to take those who are taught, teach them how to replicate that same work, to go out and preach the gospel themselves. And then kind of part of that as well is the sense that we want to be able to defend the gospel. And when I say defend, I'm not talking specifically about the idea of of entering into an argument with somebody, a doctrinal debate, that kind of thing. But the idea that I would like us to just kind of put a hook on is that I I need to know the truth to such a degree that that I, I I can hold on to the things that are true and be able to share that with a future generation of people. Maybe it's with younger folks or or those who are just learning the truth. I want to be able to handle that truth in such a way as to propagate that truth. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And generationally, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul tells Timothy that the things that he had heard from him among many witnesses, he was to commit these to faithful men He'll be able to teach others also. And I don't want you to miss that important little point right there, that what Paul was teaching Timothy, Paul says, now, Timothy, you make sure that when you take this unadulterated, unchanged truth, you share that with people who are going to be responsible enough to maintain that truth as well. So don't, don't be taking it and handing it off, uh, for instance, to unscrupulous people who are going to use it to their own benefit or their own gain. You find faithful people who will also take that truth and in an unadulterated, unchanged sort of way be able to share that with somebody else. It's, it's the idea of the continuation of the gospel truth. So we, we want to... We want to preach that gospel, we want to teach it, we want to defend it in the sense that we're defending that truth, keeping it, keeping it pure. We also want to be able to develop a character. That is, remember we talked about the church being the fullness of Christ, reflecting Christ. Well, if the body generally is going to do that, then that means that the individual members are also going to have to be committed to a change of life. 
Some of that will come naturally as a result of the impact of God's word. We see the fruit of the spirit, for instance, Galatians 5 verse 22. If, if I'm walking in the light, if I'm walking as led by the spirit of God, then that's going to be uh, demonstrated in uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All those things are going to be evidenced in me, a natural impact of the Word of God, of the Spirit in my life as I'm walking with God. But secondarily, the character that I have is also a committed uh, implementing of the truths of God in my own life. I, I have decisions to make, right? I've got, got to make some choices relative to how I'm going to live. The Apostle Paul, when he was in prison, writing to the Philippian brethren, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, the Apostle Paul says, look, you know what, I'm not going to be able to come and check on you. <laughs> but even though, even though I can't do that, I want to hear, maybe from some folks that come to me and tell me about their experience with you, I want to hear that the life you are living is, is a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, now, how can a life be a reflection of the gospel? Well, since the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and since the obedience to that gospel is in baptism, then what we're really talking about is that change of life, right? What is happening after our resurrection, that change that has occurred in us, leaving the old man of sin behind and rising to walk in newness of life. Paul says, I want to hear about that change that has happened in you. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove or become the example of what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to see a change in you, a character reflective of Jesus. And then also in us, especially I'm thinking about the whole body, there ought to be an atmosphere that's different here from any other place that you might be. I would describe that as an atmosphere of love. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Perhaps there are many other things we could say about our direct purpose in the spread of the gospel, in the mission of the church. But these few things really, I think, emphasize the importance that Jesus was placing on seeking and saving the lost. And, and in our case of creating an environment in the body of Christ that is conducive to our growth. 
we have got not only to grasp that, but we have to clearly understand it in our minds. And then our purpose, well, I'm going to say that it has to be believed. Now, the reason that I say it that way is because I want us to understand this. Listen, if, if we are not growing as a church, it is simply a direct result of the fact that we just, either, either we don't understand our mission or we haven't, as those from the tribe of Reuben were described, we have not developed that resolve of heart. In order for the church to grow, we've got to grasp, lay hold of this mission. Now, there are several things that I would suggest kind of have to be in line for some of that to happen. And that's something, additionally, we're going to work on together as we go through these weeks of study. But I just want to lay them out here initially. I want us to understand that, first of all, we've got to have that purpose, that mission. We've got to understand it plainly. We've got to be really committed to the spread of the gospel and sharing the gospel with those who are lost. We're also going to have to understand that there has to be a, a plan in place. We need to be able to get together and lay out that plan and understand what the responsibilities of each are. We have to have a goal in mind. We've got to say, okay, here's, here's where we are right now, but here's where we want to be if God will bless us in the way that we're planning those blessings to be. We're hoping and trusting that if we do as God has commanded us, if we've really put in place our commitment to this mission, then by such and such time, here, here's where we ought to be, or here are some things that we ought to expect to be in place. And then finally, and I'm not going to say this is the most, most important thing, but it certainly is an important thing, that is that we've got to learn to communicate. We've got to let everybody know what's going on and, and understand that maybe, maybe I'm not involved necessarily in a particular part of the work that you're involved in. You know, we're fitting together. Not everybody does the same job. But if I know what you're doing, if I, if I know the goals that you have in mind, if, if I know where you're trying to get to, then I can be praying about that. Or if I have some resources, maybe I'm not involved in that word, but I can help you along. We've got to communicate with one another the kind of things that we're participating in, our purpose and the execution of that plan. I said that we have to believe. We have to believe that God is going to give us success if we commit ourselves to his plan and we implement it according to his direction, to his will. And God will give us that success. And here's how I know that's true. Because he has promised to be with us in our work with him. Don't miss this because a lot of times people just kind of run over it. In Matthew 28, oh, we, we saw where Jesus has authority and the gospel was preached. and Everybody was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They taught those disciples that were made the things that they had been taught. But here's what Jesus says. Lo, verse 20, I am with you, even to the end of the age, amen. Jesus promises, look, you do this, you go out there and you preach this gospel, I promise you that I'm going to be with you. 
I'm going to be with you now. I'm going to be with you in the future. I'm going to be with those who in the future continue the work that you have begun. Amen. That is so be it. And I I always love that last amen because Jesus is emphasizing the fact that, look, I told you that I'm going to do it. So be it. That's it. We're locked in. Let's go. And then I think about the promise that I guess is is restated in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. But it's especially noteworthy in the book of Hebrews because you had some folks who were just kind of giving up the work. And he's encouraging them, listen, remember your mission, remember your purpose, let's lay hold of that, and let's continue forward. And so in that regard, he says, as he reflects the Lord, I'm with you, right? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord's my helper. Why should I fear? What can man, what can man do to me? I'm trusting that the Lord's going to be with us when we believe what he has said about his work, when we've committed ourselves to the purpose, when we believe We have the commitment, the the constancy and knowledge that Jesus is going to be with us every step of that way. And then finally, our purpose has to be sustained. Listen, and, and I love this quotation, perseverance in a grand purpose is the golden path of success or to success. If we will persevere in this this great purpose, then God will give us the success that we seek. In fact, we say it's, it's our desire for success. God's the one who wants that success. He has enlisted us through our obedience to the gospel, to the greatest work that has ever existed on this planet, the salvation of souls. So if I have purposed my heart to seek his way, I'm not just going to kind of hit that sporadically. I've got to begin that work and it has to be sustained. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And while that passage is an encouragement to be steadfast and to keep going, when you think about it in its own context, it is a spectacular message of the Lord. Previous to this, we're being reminded of of the resurrection, of how our mortal bodies are going to become immortal, how our corruptible bodies are going to become incorruptible, of the glory and the majesty of being free from death and sin and living with God forever. But he says, you know what? Even though that is your future, right now look where you are. Let's continue working from here to there. So to get from here to there, right now, you've got to be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Don't give up. Sustain this work. I love it. It reminds me in part of Galatians 6 and verse 9, right? So we have to have a mindset that says no matter what, no matter what kind of no matter what kind of circumstances I find, I know that ultimately I'm going to reap. God is going to give the reward. I'm wondering about your commitment and your understanding of purpose and the mission that you have undertaken. Listen, 
when I was told there's going to be a swim, first thing I thought was, yeah, okay, hey, I want to swim. I really didn't think about what was going to be required in order to satisfy that mission properly. Many people do the same thing with the church. We tell them about eternity, about having their sins washed away, about the glory that will be in the life to come. We do a disservice to one another when we don't emphasize what's to take place between here and there. The commitment that we have to make to the mission of God, our purpose. Listen, you and I, as members of the body of Christ, have a great purpose. And when the church enlists that great purpose, it becomes a great church. Thank you for the privilege of coming into your home and talking about some of these things. And I look forward, I hope that you will, to the coming weeks where we can talk more about what it takes to make a great church. Bob. Thank you, Brother Ken, for that fantastic lesson. I know I'm fired up. I hope everybody else is too. A few announcements before we close this evening. Uh, we need to, do need to remember Brother Billy Mormon, uh, Sister Marilyn Martin and Jonathan Hutchins, Delma Sanchez, Pat Green, Marlon Cox, Donald Green, Luella Green, and also all of our different members who are suffering from the COVID virus at this time. As a reminder, reminder, we are still doing the live stream services on Wednesday nights, of course, and also we are doing online-only services on Sunday. We ask and encourage you to please join us as we worship God together. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. If you would bow with me, I'll close some prayer. Father, we're so thankful and humbled for the opportunity you've given us this evening to study your word, Father. We're so thankful for Brother Ken and Sister Anita for, uh, for you bringing them to us, Father, to work here at the Boonville Congregation. We pray, Lord, that we as a congregation as, and as individuals would realize our purpose and would strive to, to seek and to save the lost, Father, and to do everything within our power, use all the abilities that you've given us to, to serve you, Father, and so we can grow not only in number, Father, but also spirit. Lord, we lift up the ones we've mentioned here this evening, ones who are dealing with sickness and, and hurting, Father. We pray that you would bless them with health, Father. Lord, go with us as we, as we go through the rest of this week, Father. Help us to always strive to seek and serve you, Father. Lord, we love you. We, we pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.